Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. We are in the uh, middle. Well, first of all, let me just say it's great to be back here in Minnesota. I am a Minnesotan. Uh, Florida's nice, but I'll tell you, it's good to be back in Minnesota. And uh, we had a great time, but uh, it was time to come back as well. So uh, it's great to be here today. And I want to thank Pastor Cooper, Pastor Jeff for uh, bringing the word while I was gone. We were actually listening uh, to the service last Sunday as we were driving through southern Illinois. And uh, it is fun to see the uh, impact of our uh, live streaming and, and how uh, easy it is to use and uh, what a wonderful tool that is. So praise God. We are in this series here on foundations. God made it. We enjoy it. And uh, we're about halfway through the series right now. First chapters of Genesis, which all of the foundations for life are laid in those first 11 chapters, including the freedom that we enjoy. God made us free creatures. We're going to talk about that. Not, not free without limits, but, but we have a lot of choices we can make every day, and they, have, they make a difference. Okay, we're going to look at that subject today, so let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to talk about freedom today, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a free being, and you have made us in your very image, and help us as we journey through this today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. In 1972, there was a novel, The Stepford Wives, it was published, later made into a movie in 1975, and then there was a remake in 2004. The main character is a young lady in a small Connecticut town who suspects that the picture-perfect housewives in her neighborhood may be robots <laughs> created by their husbands. <clears throat> Today, our continual advancements in cloning and genetic engineering makes this issue all the more relevant. More relevant than ever. But would you really want to create your own handcrafted spouse or child or friend, someone who was pre programmed to think that you are just as picture perfect as they are? Would you really want that? Now, certainly, God could have made all of us like puppets. Uh, robotic creatures that mechanically go through life with all of our unflattering flaws and tendencies conveniently removed. But he didn't do that. God created us with volition, the ability to make meaningful choices. Every single day, all day long, you make choices that have real consequences. And that is part of being made in the image of God. But there are some differences between us and God. You see, we are given free will, but there are limitations. Bible scholars have wrestled with this issue. In fact, whole denominations have split over this precisely because the free will we exercise is not the same as God's free will. 
For like us, God has a mind. God is conscious. Like us, God has the capacity to make decisions and choose. But unlike us, God is not limited by any external constraints. Unlike us, God cannot be coerced. Unlike us, God doesn't answer to anybody. In fact, Job 36, 23, it says, Who has appointed his ways for him? Or said to him, You have done something wrong. Now, we aren't like that, are we? Yes, we do have a free will. It's part of what distinguishes us from rocks and trees and animals. But our free will has limitations. We are subject to the laws of nature. We cannot just flap our arms and fly to the moon. But God exists outside of the laws of nature. In fact, he designed the laws of nature. And he put them into place. Revelation 4.11 says, You created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Even the act of creation itself was the result of God's free will. His choice to create was not influenced by any necessity or obligation. God's volition, his freedom to choose this or that, is absolute, but ours isn't. Our freedom to choose this or that has limits. Today, we're going to explore what this looks like. Because in Genesis 2 and 3, we see four boundaries for human freedom that are kindly put in place by our loving Heavenly Father. The first boundary is a zone of autonomy. You have a zone of autonomy, and so do I. And so did Adam. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now the word autonomy means the right to self-govern, the right to self-rule, the right to make independent decisions. See, when God placed Adam in the garden, he gave him a wide range of freedom. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. One Bible scholar noted that the Hebrew grammar in this verse puts the absolute infinitive by the side of the verb, so a literal translation would be eating, you may eat. The emphasis is on the maximum permission to freely eat whatever you wish. But there's one exception. The fruit from one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here is Adam. He's in an ideal physical environment. He has a perfect physical health. He's an unbroken fellowship with a perfect creator. He can do anything he wanted except one thing. He could not eat the fruit of one particular tree. And yet he blew it, didn't he? Contrast that with Jesus when he faced off against Satan in the wilderness. Jesus was stuck out in the middle of a desert. The environment was a barren wasteland, and he hadn't eaten in 40 days. He was in an extremely weakened physical state. And Jesus, remember, he grew up as a devout Jew under Old Testament law, which had 613 commandments. 
248 of them were positive. You do this. 365 were negative. Don't do this. And yet, get this, he fulfilled the law perfectly. He perfectly kept the moral law. He embodied everything the ceremonial law pointed to. And he kept the judicial law by personifying God's justice. Imagine this. God had a million, a zillion things. He need, Jesus had a zillion things he needed to do. He got a perfect score. Adam had one thing he needed to do, and he blew it. Every day, you and I are blessed with a zone of autonomy. Now, we can't control the weather, can we? Like God can. But we do have a wide range of, of choices that we can make every single day. Am I going to have bacon or am I going to have sausage? Am I going to have orange juice or apple juice? Am I going to have jam on my toast or just butter? Am I going to wear khakis or blue pants? Am I going to wear tennis shoes or dress shoes? Am I going to read the Bible this morning or not? Am I going to pray with my kids before they get on the bus? Am I going to pray with my spouse before I leave for work? Choices, choices, choices. We have them all day long. And we have to choose. Even as things happen to us, we have to choose how we will respond when I'm cut off in traffic, when the waiter brings me chips instead of fries, when a coworker chews me out because I forgot something, when a risque image pops up on my screen, how will I react? God has given each of us this large zone of autonomy. It's a gift from him. And now we know that a, a robin builds a nest every spring but she does it out of instinct. And a few weeks later, she kicks her little ones out of the nest because she is genetically pre-programmed to do that. But when you mow the lawn, you make a free choice to do that. You could choose to go fishing. You could choose to take a bike ride. You could choose to watch TV. Freedom is a gift from God. The forefathers of our nation crafted a constitution that was intended to grant us the maximum amount of freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, freedom to pursue your dreams. <laughs> How long that's going to be there, we don't know. But it's there right now. And you see, in the same way, a wise parent will raise their kids with lots of elbow room. Now, it doesn't mean we don't teach them and train them. For as they grow, we want to gradually loosen the reins. We want to allow them to make more and more of their own choices, just like God does with us. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, the Lord says, I set before you life and death. I set before you blessings or curses. Now choose life. So God says, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. What will you choose? The first boundary of human freedom is this zone of autonomy. 
Use your autonomy wisely. Now, the second boundary of human freedom is a zone of authority. Genesis 2.19 says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. That was an authority that was given to Adam. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You know, I think it's one of the best gifts that God gave to Adam and to us was a zone of authority. We all are given a zone of authority. Adam was given specific responsibilities, and they were meaningful. In the ancient world, the naming of something or someone, that was a statement of authority. Back in Genesis 1-5, God calls the light day. The Hebrew word is yom. The darkness he calls night. The Hebrew word is Layla. And then it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. This tells us that the earth was already rotating in space even before the sun was created on day four. And I believe this is pointing to a normal 24-hour day. Remember, you don't need a sun to mark time. In fact, in heaven, we won't have a sun. Remember when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, okay? The most important thing, thing to know here is that naming the light day, the darkness night, it displays God's authority over both of them. God reigns over his creation, which is why it is so interesting that God allows Adam to partner with him by naming the animals. On a limited scale, man is a co-regent with God. We help God rule the universe. Isn't that exciting? You see, the same is true with us. This zone of authority that each of us is given is both, it's a great honor And it's a great responsibility, isn't it? On the plus side, you can be assured that your life makes a difference. On the minus side, you can also be assured that your life makes a difference. For example, consider the way in which you raise your kids. The Bible says start children off on the right way. The way that they should go and when they are old... They will not turn from it. Now that's a proverb. It's not a promise. It's a wise principle, generally true, that if you model the life of Christ for them, Ephesians 5.1, if you teach them the word of God, Matthew 28.19, this will have a powerful impact on their lives. But get this, parents. The opposite's also true, isn't it? 1 Samuel 2.29, God said to Eli... The priest, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? You see, Eli didn't discipline his sons. They were taking for themselves things that belonged to God. They were committing sexual sins with women who were coming to worship. And finally, God had it. He took their lives and he told Eli, all of your descendants will die in the prime of life. 
You see, some parents are too lackadaisical, while others go to the opposite extreme, try to control everything, and end up provoking their children. Ephesians 6, 4, the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So there is danger in neglecting your kids. There's also danger trying to control everything, provoking your kids. But you know what? Greatest danger of all is being unfaithful to your spouse. Isn't that interesting? The Bible teaches that very clearly, that there is a direct correlation between loving your spouse and raising godly kids. Just read Malachi chapter 2. In verse 14, the Bible says, the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I can remember as a young pastor preaching a sermon on this very passage, and it left a lasting impression with me. You see, men, there is no better reason out there to stay away from pornography and to stay away from lust than right here, because it will devastate your kids. Now, thank God the opposite is true. If you love your wife, if you stay true to her, it'll bless your kids. The Bible says so. Now, let's be clear. You can have the best parents in the world, still rebel. You can be the worst parents in the world and still have a child that follows the Lord. Both are true. And yet, I want you to see today that how your parent does make a statistical difference. When I was preaching through the kings of Judah and Israel, I showed you this chart right here, that godly kings tended to have godly kids, and ungodly kings tended to have ungodly kids. That principle is true about 75% of the time. Now, I realize that some of you are going to find this teaching very motivating. It's going to spur you on. I want to be the best mom and dad that I can possibly be. And I hope it does that. But I also realize that some of you, you're going to find this very depressing. Because it fills you with regrets. And you think, oh man, I blew it with my kids. But you know what? We all have regrets, folks. We all have regrets because we're all tainted by sin. You have regrets, I have regrets. And it accomplishes nothing to cry over our regrets. All we can do is give them to God and vow to live all out for God from this day forward. The Bible teaches that God can restore what the locusts have eaten. Never forget that. God can restore what the locusts have eaten. Therefore, give your regrets to God and move forward. Adam and Eve had mixed results too, didn't they? Have you read about their kids? They were given a zone of authority in raising Cain and Abel. One turned out to be a godly young man. The other one, the first murderer in history. 
Each of us is given a zone of authority. I want to challenge you today. Use it for good and not for evil. Now let's move to the third boundary of human freedom. Each of us are given a zone of association. God created human beings as social beings. In fact, uh, uh, that is a, a huge reason why I encourage you to sign up for the Discover Heartland class. Because we all need friends, don't we? We all need friends. We all need people to hang out with, to be my people that I befriend and get to know and associate with. God created us as social beings. And that is why Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then God paraded all the animals before man, and Adam could see that each of the animals had their mates, but verse 20 says, for Adam no suitable helper was found. And God puts Adam to sleep. Verse 22 says, And the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And Adam was overjoyed. This is very clear in the original Hebrew in verse 23. So he receives his wife with joy. He's united with her. They became one flesh, according to verse 24. And yet... Only a few verses later, chapter 3, the woman eats of the forbidden fruit. And then what does she do? Verse 6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. (laughs) The first human relationship in history reveals a conundrum that has been with us since the dawn of history. Our associations with our fellow human beings bring us both tremendous joy and tremendous pain. The joy comes from the fact that our fellow human beings, they're made in the image of God, just like we are. The pain comes from the fact that our fellow human beings are tainted by sin, just as we are. Now, of course, neither Adam nor Eve, they... They didn't really have a choice as to who they were going to hang out with, right? They only had each other. And in the same way, there are people in our zone of association, they're chosen for us. God chooses them. You didn't get to choose your parents, did you? You didn't get to choose your siblings. And that's also true of most of your neighbors and your coworkers. They're simply part of the package, When God leads you to a new neighborhood or a new workplace, all of a sudden, there's a group of people that go along with it. But get this, folks. You and I, we will choose who will be in that inner circle of our zone of association. Each of us has been given freedom by God our creator, to choose our closest friends and confidence. And I want to ask you today, who have you chosen? And what adjustments do you need to make? Because Proverbs 12.26 says, the righteous choose their friends, what does it say? Carefully. They choose their friends carefully. You know, the book of Proverbs has a lot of wise counsel on how to choose your friends. 
The Bible says a true friend loves unconditionally. That's in chapter 17, 17. A true friend gives godly advice, 27, 9. A true friend challenges you when needed. You ever need to be challenged? I sure do. That's in 27, 5 and 6. A true friend sharpens your thinking, 27, 17. A true friend avoids gossip, 16, 28. A true friend forgives and doesn't hold grudges, 17, 9. And a very important quality of a true friend, just plain loyalty. That's in 1824. One of the greatest friendships in the Bible was that of David and Jonathan. They could have been rivals. Jonathan was the crown prince. But God made them loyal friends. And they were there for each other. The same is true with the Apostle Paul. Have you ever noticed in Paul's letters, either at the beginning or at the end, he usually gives tributes to those who are his closest friends and associates, and he gives thanks for them. He was blessed with wonderful friends throughout his ministry. Sadly, the Bible also tells us the stories of friends who led people away from God. Like Jonadab in 2 Samuel 13, who led his friend Amnon into sexual sin with Tamar. And then there were Job's friends. I wouldn't want to have friends like that. They gave him bad advice that ended up only magnifying his suffering. No wonder the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Friends, everybody, we need associates. We're social beings. We need friends. And God's word challenges us. Seek out good ones. Seek out friends who will lead you to God, not away from him. Be careful who you let into your zone of association. Now this brings us to the fourth boundary of human freedom, and that is the zone of accountability. Genesis 2.17, God warns Adam, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, what's going to happen? You will surely die. He was held accountable, wasn't he? That's exactly what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and immediately death and decay and disease and destruction entered into God's pristine creation for the very first time. In a few weeks, I'll be doing a sermon entitled Consequences, His Protection. And I'm going to explore this topic more fully. But for now, I just want you to know that the zone of accountability that God places around your life it's all-encompassing, and he does that because he loves you. The Bible says, Galatians 6, verse 7, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Think about it. If this were not so, if there were no consequences for our actions, would we not destroy ourselves? I mean, if, if you lose the sense of touch, and numbness sets in, you can burn yourself and not even know it. 
You could even saw off your own limb and bleed to death. You see, God loves us too much to allow that to happen. So he has set in place consequences for our actions. One of the problems that we have in our modern world is that technological advances have created ways to avoid consequences. And it's not been good for us. For instance, we have birth control to avoid getting pregnant. And if you do get pregnant, we have all kinds of different ways to terminate that pregnancy. And if you feel bad about it and get depressed, well, you have all kinds of different medications that can mask the pain. But let me tell you this. The further down the road that you go on, along that lines, the more you are going to lose the ability to feel anything at all. It will destroy your very humanity. I close with this. Freedom is one of God's best gifts. 1995, I went on a mission trip to Romania, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, and Poland. It was shortly after the Iron Curtain had fallen. Now this right here is the Iron Curtain, that boundary between East and West Germany, and then down through Central Europe, and then above Greece. The boundary between freedom and communism. And let me tell you this, traveling from a free nation to a communist nation, it was like going from a color TV to black and white. And boy, was it black and white. Everything was gray in Romania. You know, drab. You see, freedom, friends, freedom is a gift. When God told Adam, you are free to eat from any tree, God knew exactly what he was doing. He gave Adam the freedom to choose to remain loyal to his creator or to rebel against his creator. Do you know that for centuries, Bible scholars and Christian philosophers have debated why God did this? Tons of books and papers, and I wrote a few myself, doctoral dissertations even, have been written on this subject. Why did God give mankind freedom? It's a good question, isn't it? Why did God give Adam the capacity to destroy himself? Why does God give you the capacity to destroy yourself? Think about it. I remember one time when I asked our former resident theologian, Chuck Will, about this. And I said, Chuck, why did God give us freedom? And Chuck replied with a simple one-word answer. Love. Love. And you know, that's about as good an answer as any. Because you know what? We all have personal experience with this. What is it that makes falling in love so special? Is it not because your beloved has the freedom to love you or not to love you? They have the freedom to choose you out of the 8 billion people that inhabit our planet. And isn't this what makes unfaithfulness in a marriage so, un so painful? 
to know that your beloved has freely chosen someone else? Many have said that they would rather lose an arm or a leg than experience the trauma of unfaithfulness. I leave you today with the challenge that Joshua gave to the people of Israel at the end of his long and distinguished career. You see, Joshua faithfully led the people of Israel across the Jordan River. He led them into the promised land, but he knew that their freedom and their prosperity, it could be gone in an instant. Each day, they had to make a choice. And that's what Joshua says in the last chapter of his book. It's his parting challenge for them. He says to his people, choose for yourselves this day. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Is that your choice today? 